And we'll go to Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse number 28. <clears throat> Just going to read um, 28, 29, and 30 this morning. I wanted to go a little bit further, but it just, uh, when I got to studying, I said, no, I'm going to be too long then, so I've got to uh, cut this a little bit short, but in verse, um, Romans 8, verse 28, of course, you know this verse, I use it a lot, it's our theme verse for the year, and it says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask you that you would just help me to just to formulate my thoughts right in this message. I pray, Lord, that it would be a message that would stir our hearts uh, for the great things that you've done for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would just help somebody here that maybe is not saved, that they'd be saved today, and help Christians understand that there's some great potential that we have in our lives today. Help us not to miss what you have for us. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of this message, I've entitled it, Great Truths for the Christian Life. Because in these three verses, we have some very powerful truths that I want to get across today. Uh, the first that I want to talk about, the first great truth is I want to talk about the great promise of the Christian life. And that's, of course, verse 28. As I look at promises in Scripture, you know, there's promises, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? Uh, shall be saved doesn't mean maybe be saved. That actually means you will be saved. So if you could, not just any old prayer either, it's a prayer coming from a repentant heart, receiving Christ as your Savior, whosoever shall call, the Bible says, shall be saved. That's a great promise, and that's for anybody here that needs to be saved or is saved, that's still a promise for you. Because isn't it great to know that you have received Christ, that you will go to heaven one day? You shall be. It's not maybe, it shall be, all right? That's an important promise. But as it goes for Christian life, and what I need in my life to look at my whole scope of life and to make sense of it. This promise has got to be one of the greatest in the Bible. One of the greatest. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That, my friend, I don't know if you get excited about that. For me, that means a lot. As I look back at my life, you know what? Doesn't matter where you were born, doesn't matter who your parents were, doesn't matter what school you went to, doesn't matter who bullied you, it doesn't matter what happened throughout your life, it doesn't matter where you are right now, doesn't matter how much money you've got, doesn't matter what your health is like, doesn't matter how tall you are, how short you are, how big you are, how little you are. Folks, this promise is telling us that all things work together for good. My friend, how many times as a pastor do I get to deal with people that are dealing through stuff and they can't see the value in what they've gone through in their life? The value. But God has given us a promise. No matter what you see, it doesn't really matter because the promise is this, <clears throat> that everything that has ever happened to you, everything you've ever experienced, it will all work together for good. It'll all work together for good. My friend, that has got to be one of the greatest promises in this book for the believer. Other than that, salvation promises, amen. Powerful stuff. The great promise of the Christian life. Good means profitable, useful. How many people would want to be useful? You know, many people give up on life because they don't feel useful. I'm kind of, well, nobody really cares about me. And what you're saying is, I'm just really not profitable to anybody. I'm not profitable enough for people to care about me. But the Bible tells us that you can be profitable. What you've gone through in your life is very unique. It's different than me. My life situation is different than yours. And you can't say because you went through what you went through that somehow you're less profitable. No, the Bible says all of us, no matter what we've experienced, 
it's all going to work together for good. It's all going to work together for good. To who? Is that just to me? Not just to me. My life and the things I've gone through are going to work together for good for me and for you. Part of what you get here as this preacher is the things that I've gone through in my life. The things that I've experienced is what made me who I am. Now, if I'm allowing the Lord to use those things in my life, and instead of getting bitter and angry and thinking that it was just a waste of time, and I don't even want to think about that, and I'm just going to cut that person out of my life, and I'm just mad at that, what you're doing is you're saying, God, I don't want you to use it. I don't want you to use that in my life. Folks, do you understand that you're going through some hard things? And some of you could tell a story that others would say, wow, I never realized it was so bad. I never realized you were going through such a hard time. But can I tell you, no matter what story you have, God says, I've allowed that to take place for you. And I'm going to use it for good. Now, some of these things that happen to us, we wonder, Lord, why? Part of it is just being a part of a sinful world, curse earth. You know, the, really, when you look at it, folks, unless the Bible tells us promises, he doesn't owe us anything. He holds himself to the word of God. But you know, because we turned our back on him way back in the garden, he didn't owe us anything. But immediately after we did that, you know what he answered back with? A promise. You know, when Adam turned his back on him and hid in the garden there and was too afraid and says, I'm too afraid to come. Well, have you eaten? Have you disobeyed me, Adam? Well, of course he did, but he blamed. <laughs> I blame my wife. I blame you. The wife blamed the devil. The devil was just, ha ha. <laughs> I got what I wanted. Isn't that something? These situations in life that we go through, God says, I can turn them around and use them for good, no matter what you've gone through. Now, that's hard for some of us because we say, no, 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 not my situation. Yes, your situation. You know, he can make you so unique in the way that you can minister to others that you can be a profitable person that he says, I need to get you to this person right there. So it's, we're, we're not just generic robots here. <laughs> we're not all just saying the same thing the same way. We have the same message. But do you know that the things that you've gone through and the experiences you've had have given you a specific uh, perspective of certain promises of God and the way God has moved in your life that you can be a real blessing to someone else? You've grown up in an alcoholic home. You've had abuse going on in your life. Now, you're going to be bitter about it. It's basically useless. But if you can forgive and if you can trust God with it, he says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to help other people. That's why there's conditions on this promise. But the first thing I want you to see, this is a confident promise. In Romans 8, 28, the first three words, and we know. And we know. Do you know? <laughs> Do you really know? I mean, sometimes we know, but we don't know. Sometimes the preacher says, hey, I'll be a preacher. I've heard that verse a thousand times. I've read it through the Bible. I know the verse. Yeah, but do you know? Do you know? This word know is not just know up here. This means to see with perception. And we know. Folks, one of the greatest things that have helped me in my life is when I understood that no matter what I had gone through, no matter how bad it was, God is using it for his honor and glory. I know it. I see it. I feel it. Do you know it? This is a confident promise. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Some of us, we just, we just kind of have it resting right here on top of our brain. Oh yeah, preacher, I even memorized the verse. <laughs> There's a difference between memorizing it up here and believing it in here. Do you know? See, when you get to that particular question, do I really know this? It begins to put me in face-to-face -face with some of the obstacles that are keeping me from truly knowing it. And I need to deal with those obstacles. If I've got bitterness in my life, that's an obstacle. 
If I'm selfish and I just want to do what I want to do, that's an obstacle. There's all kinds of obstacles, but until you want to know <laughs> with confidence this promise, you will never truly see what God's going to do with your life. You know what's sad to me is that many Christians will go to their grave never having God work together for good the things that they've gone through. And not because God wasn't following through on his promise. The second point is it's a conditional promise. It's conditional. In the Bible, you have two types of promises. You've got unconditional, you've got conditional. And you've got to look for those conditions. And in this passage, there are conditions. An, a, an unconditional promise is whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's unconditional. You, I mean, it doesn't matter what you do now. You've called. I mean, you're, it's it. But you know, this promise is Conditional. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's unconditional. That means that he, if you believe on him, you're going to be saved. Nothing's going to change that. Now the devil wants you to put conditions on that. Well, if you've been baptized, no sir. Well, if you continue to follow by faith, no sir. <laughs> that means that you believe that your faith is saving you. Your faith doesn't save you. Your faith in his faith saves you. It's his faith that holds you. You know the Bible says that you're justified by the faith of the Son of God? You're not justified by your faith, even though you put your faith in his faith to be saved. But your faith doesn't hold you. Your faith had a moment of time where it was placed into something far more powerful than itself. And it was placed in the faith of Christ. And from that moment on, the faith of Christ grabbed you. It says, I got you. Now, the day after, he says, well, I just don't know what I believe anymore. I went through this hard time, and is God real? <laughs> and you know what the faith of Christ says? I got you. Do you understand that? You know, there's religions out there today that tell you that it's your faith that saves you, how strong your faith is. That means you can have strong faith and receive Christ as your Savior, but the next day, if you somehow falter, that somehow, oh, well, now you may not be saved, they're putting faith in themselves again. Faith cannot be put in yourself. Your faith has to always aim to Christ. And every time you aim it at Christ, there's only one answer, and that's yes, it's true. But the devil always wants you to turn it inside. <laughs> well, I, well, I, well, I'm going to tell you something. You put I in there, you're going to doubt till Jesus comes. Because you do not have security in I. Never will. Even in your faith. Because you're going to go through something in your life that's going to cause you to question everything. Now, deep down, you say, oh, I know there's a God, and I know that Jesus, but you know, Matt, I'm going through something hard. Some people go, oh, be careful. Because if your faith drops down a little bit more, one more degree, God's going to back out on you. No, sir. You're not justified by your faith. You're justified by the faith of Christ. And by the way, if your Bible doesn't say that, you need a new Bible. Because the King James is the only one that says that. They've changed all the ones. Even the ESV doesn't say you're justified by the faith of Christ. It's justified by your faith in. So there it puts you on you again. <laughs> I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. King James Bible is the only one that has of there. All the rest of them. You look that you have on the in. They're putting you in the driver's seat. No, sir, I'm not in the driver's seat. I live by the faith of. That means he dictates to me what he wants me to do. I don't dictate to him. We live in a day and age where Christians want to dictate to him. Name it and claim it. I'll tell you, God, you do what I want you to do and you just do it. That's what prayer means. No, prayer is petitioning the all-sovereign God to help you because you're in such need. <laughs> it's not to boss God around. We're justified by the faith of Christ. We live our lives by the faith of Christ. Amen. The only profitable thing your faith has is that little bit of it that got placed into his faith. And whatever part of your life is not in Christ's faith is pretty well profitless. And many people, they just got their pinky stuck into him like this. Oh, I got lots of faith. But what's your faith in? 
Well, I believe Jesus died for my sins. You know that's enough to save you. If you had a faith of a grain of mustard seed, you should say to yonder mountain, be cast into the sea, and it would be done. That's what he's saying. It's not about you and how great your faith is. It's about whether you trust what God wants to do. Amen. He's, his faith is the powerful thing. His faith is what accomplishes it all. Anyways, there are two conditions to this promise. The first one is love God. To them that love God. It doesn't say just talk about loving God. It, t- it says actually love him. <laughs> like we said in Sunday school, love isn't a feeling. Well, I just feel I really love God, especially when I go on a high mountain and I look out at the, <laughs> or I see the beauty of creation. Oh, I love you, God. No, that's a feeling. That's a feeling. But loving God isn't a feeling. Love of God is a sacrifice. Love of God is, a, is giving yourself. Like Jesus, when he loved you, he didn't just say, oh, I love you. Oh, you make me feel. That's what this world wants. Just, oh, just make me feel ooey-gooey inside, please. That's not what Jesus said. I love you, and I'm going to show you by dying. Suffering. Amen? Love means to esteem. I like this definition I found. It says indicating a direction of the will and finding one's joy in something or someone. That means I'm finding my joy in the Lord and he is everything to me. That's loving God. Amen? All I know is this, whatever you find your joy in, that's what you're going to spend your time in. (laughs) I really like fishing, preacher. You want to go fishing every weekend. Because you find your joy in that. I'm not against fishing. You can go find some joy in fishing. Because I'm, I'm, I'm there, I'm going to church, preacher. I'm not missing church. Where two or more are gathered. And I'm here with my fishing rod, and I see jackfish, and I see Wally, and... <laughs> two or more. <laughs> no, sir, that's not church. Anyways, let's move on. <laughs> it's not my message. <laughs> this means practically that we put God and his word first in our lives. So now let me ask you this. You've gone through things. You've been born a certain way. I I hate the family I grew up in. My mom and dad, I just hate them. I hate where I was born. I hate my nationality. I hate this. I hate... Well, all those things were chosen for you, by the way. You had no choice. And God chose them for you. Now, he chose them for you because there was a reason for that. And then as you were growing up, things happened to you, and you, you couldn't control them. They were out of your control. Maybe mom and dad moved here, and they moved there. Maybe they never settled down. Maybe they, you know, never gave you a solid life anywhere with friends, and, and you're holding that in your heart and say, oh, I'm so bitter. No, no, see, that's, that wasn't your choice, so that was God's choice for you. It was God's choice for you. Oh, no, it's my mom. No, 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 no. You're giving your mom and dad too much credit. You need to understand, no matter what happens in your life, the the Lord was there to keep his eye on you because he knew that you were his future child. He knew that before you were even born. He was following you every step of the way. But what about these bad things that happened? Why didn't he stop that? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Why God just doesn't stop bad things. Why didn't he stop Adam in the garden? Right before he was gonna, right before Eve was gonna eat of that fruit, just whoa, 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 whoa! No, he didn't do that. He waited a little while and came back when they all messed up. I'm gonna tell you something. He wants you to choose some things in your life. Now you make a big deal about what people do to your body. Your body is corrupt. It's gonna be redeemed. And he's going to give you a brand new glorious body. But it's amazing because we put so much emphasis on our body. What people do to our bodies is very impactful. But the Lord doesn't put that much impact on our body. He doesn't put that much emphasis on our body. So he lets you go through things. That's why he allowed the Apostle Paul in in Philippi to be whipped, beaten, put in stocks. His body was broken. At one point, they took stones and they stoned him where they thought he was actually dead. That's how hard he was stoned by these stones. Where they said, yeah, that killed him. Have anybody ever thrown stones at you to such an extent that there was no doubt that you would have been dead from it? 
God allowed that. He didn't step in and stop it. Because he was using it. And later on, the Apostle Paul would give his testimony about how I was shipwrecked and how I was in dangers and perils and hungering and how I didn't have food to eat and I had to not, not eat for a long period of time and I was alone and people would attack me and I was stoned and all these different things. He had to be let out of a, a window in a basket to escape the people from wanting to kill him. Where were you, God? He was right there. Every step of the way, he says, who gave you the basket? He was there. Who made them think that they, you were dead when you weren't? He was there. One of the things that I've noticed, people that are bitter about the things that have happened to them, the whole reason they're bitter is not because of what happened to them. It's because they don't see God there. And that's why people, they blame God. Why didn't you give me a better situation? Why didn't you give me a better family? Why didn't you change that decision that driver made? Why, why, why didn't you stop them from taking that corner? All these different questions. And you know what it's like when you go through something. You question every little detail. But God allowed it. Why did he allow all those things to happen? Why do you have all those things in your life? Well, maybe it's just so he can take all those things and work them together for good. Maybe you don't truly see the greatness of God until you see that he can take the worst things in your life and make them the best things in your life. Maybe that would make you see that God is far greater than you ever thought he could be. Amen? In fact, would it be better for him to take the easy things in life and use them for good? Would that show you that he's greater than he could take all the dark things in your life and make them light? What accentuates God to a higher degree? What glorifies him in the most way? Amen? And then in all of that, he says, I'm giving you a choice. That means I'm not just going to do this because I want to do it. I want you on board with this plan. I want you to be a part of this process of good. So I'm going to put a condition on this. You need to love me. You need to love me. Now, true love for Christ will begin with trusting him as your savior. You don't trust Christ as your savior, you can't love. Uh, it's a sad thing, but folks, if you're not saved... All the dark things in your life, there's no potential for good. You understand that? Now, that, that's a sad prospect, but that is the truth. If I want the things in my life to count for good, I first must have Christ in me. The Bible says in Romans 5, 5, And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So I need to first be saved and then I can have the love for God that I need to have love. So the condition is only met with saved people. Amen? So are you saved? If you're saved, you can meet the condition. You can meet it. Love for the Lord is seen in our obedience to him. And I've talked a lot about this, but Lord asked these people, he's in Luke 6, 46, and why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? I mean, you're, you're, you're putting me in the position like I'm somehow great, but you're not really doing what I've asked you to do. And in John 14, 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he, is, uh, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. What do you mean manifest? Reveal. That means where he once wasn't, he will all of a sudden be. So you look back at your life and you say, well, I don't see God there. And then you come up with this idea that, well, I wasn't saved, so how could God be there? <laughs> you know, one of the greatest truths that God showed me is that God was there when I wasn't saved. Why is that? 
man, he maneuvered me through this life and brought me right to that point of salvation. There's not one step that he was not following me. He knew that I was going to be his child. He knew the day that I was going to submit my heart to him. And he says, this is my boy. If you had a boy, wouldn't you take care of your boy? And so he did. Oh, he showed me. Later on in life, he showed me things. That, as I called him and I said, Lord, show me the, the, the reality of my past and show me where you were, Lord. And, and he began to show me that he was there every step of the way. He kept me and protected me because he knew that I was his child. Now, don't mistake that for salvation. That's not salvation. I've talked to many people that said, oh, yeah, God's been with me my whole life. I know, but that doesn't make you saved. What makes you saved is when you receive Christ as your Savior, when you believe the gospel. you got to hear the gospel and receive it. That's what you get saved by, amen? But don't think for a second that the Lord isn't there when you're lost. He is, because he knew that you were his child. He knew you would be saved. Amen? So everything that happened to you, Sometimes it made me shiver talking to some people about the things they went through. And then we started praying to the Lord and saying, Lord, reveal yourself to this person and, and, how, and what he needs to know or what she needs to know about what she went through when she was a child or that horrible situation. Lord, you've got to help her sort this out in her mind because she can't go forward until she gets it settled. And all he does is just manifest himself. And the Bible says right there, it says, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them. That means if you're going to be bitter, you're going to be angry, God says, I can't manifest myself. Can't tell you how many times we've been dealing with people and they, you know, oh, I just, I, God's not speaking to my heart. And I said, are you bitter? Have you let that person go? Have you released them of the responsibility? See, really, it's not so much of what they did for you. You're blaming them for the way you feel. You're blaming them for the lack of success that you have in your life because of what's happened to you. You're holding them accountable for everything that's happened in your life since that day. <laughs> know this, that you could be led to the cross and crucified and have a resurrection in three days and be totally glorified. What that means is this. You don't have to carry that baggage your whole life. <laughs> a hard thing can happen to you, but if you will bring it to the Lord, he will show you, he will manifest himself if you're willing to obey him. And if you're willing to obey him, you will forgive that person. If you're not going to forgive that person, you're disobedient. And he says, I cannot manifest myself to you until you forgive. Release them. And to this day, we have Christians that are holding on to somebody and they will not release them of the obligation of their judgment. They need to pay. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Can you put it into his hands? He's a far better judge than you. Forgive, let him go. It needs to be verbal. You need to do it out loud. You say, Lord, I'm releasing this person for what they did to me. Then he says, let me manifest myself to you. Then you start visiting that situation. All of a sudden, you see it totally different. All of a sudden, you see the Lord's involved. All of a sudden, you see that God has allowed things and brought you to this place. And now he's working it together. It's the greatest promise for the Christian. So many Christians are useless in the Christian life and service because they will not release people. They will not trust God for their future. They don't trust God for their past. If you can't trust them for your past, how can you trust them for your future? Amen. Obedience, forgiving, in everything give thanks. Suggestion? Or command? Is that a suggestion or a command? Is that God telling you, if you want to? Or is he saying, in everything give thanks? And he just caps that by saying, 
For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In case you didn't get what I was saying. It's a command that is the very will of God for you. Now, how are you going to argue that one? <laughs> i got to find my way around this one. You can't. He got your box right in there. Okay, from now on, I'll give thanks. No, 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 no. Okay, for, for the things that are happening today, I'll give them. No, 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 no. Okay, for the future. No. In everything. Where are the things? Where are your things? <laughs> way back. Way back. Right back to the point. Things were happening. How am I supposed to give God thanks in that? Yeah? Good question. <laughs> that is your command. Until you can do it, you won't be released. See, if you can't, it's because you're blaming somebody. If you can't see God there, you're not going to be thankful. But the moment you obey God, forgive, immediately he's manifested, and guess what you immediately do? Thank you, Lord. Well, why does he just leave you alone? Well, he knows that I don't like thinking about that. He knows I don't want to go there. Why would he just let me go forward? Because there's a part of your life that he is not being glorified in, and there's lies buried, and he wants them gone. Amen? You think he's happy with lies in your life? Not, not at all. Because as long as there's one lie in your heart, the devil has one part of you. He wants it all gone. See, God is so mean that he put me through all this pain. <laughs> he does. He triggers you. He puts you through stuff today to bring up the stuff from the past so that he can get, get you freedom over there. Why? Because I want to work it out for good. And until you can give thanks in it, I can't work together for good. All things. All things, in everything, give thanks. What things can't you give thanks in? What things can't you forgive in? <laughs> Be obedient. Be obedient to your Lord. You know, sometimes it is, I remember, remember one time I was dealing with this young lady, and she had a lot of stuff that happened to her. And so we did this exercise, we were working through forgiveness, and I told her what you need to do is write down a list of people that you need to forgive. Top to bottom. At the end, she had 16 names. Wow, usually people, four, five, 16. I said, let's start at the bottom. Work up to the top. Because the top ones are the most prominent. They're the hardest ones. The bottom ones are already, <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't like that guy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so we started at number 16. And we did... Name by name. And she verbally, Lord, I forgive that person for doing this to me. I forgive this person for doing And we went up the list, up the list, till we got to about the number three slot. Then it was like, oh. I says, aren't you willing to trust God with that? Yeah, but they did. I know. What did the Lord tell you to do? He told me to forgive. So just drumming up everything she could. Lord, I forgive so-and-so for doing this to me. And we got right down to number one. And you know what? You could see the difference in her face. See, until you do that, there's no manifestation. There's no manifestation of the Lord. There's no thanksgiving. If there's no thanksgiving, there's no will of God. If there's no will of God, there's no good. No good. It's conditional. It's conditional. It goes on to say, not only, well, I got some more points here. We're running out of time. I didn't even get three verses in, amen? We get one verse in. 
If you love the Lord, you'll desire to fellowship with him. The Bible says that. As a heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after the ill God. My soul searcheth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Wow. If I love the Lord, I love the people of God. The Bible says that loving God's people is a result of loving God. If I don't love God, I'm not going to love God's people. So that means this, if I'm already not loving somebody in this room... I'm already admitting I don't love God. So the Bible says it won't work out for good. Folks, let me tell you this. If you're going to go through all this stuff in life and have to go through all this, why at least would you not want it to turn out for good? Like, why go to your grave never seeing God do what he promised he would do if you would just fulfill that condition. So why don't you get over your petty differences? Why don't you forgive that person? Why don't you choose to love them because you love the Lord and just go on? Because that little thing, that little jealousy, that little thing that you think is just so minute is keeping you out of the will of God. Forever! Till Jesus comes. Don't do it! Don't do it. Oh, it's just a little thing. It doesn't matter. It's the little foxes that destroy the vines, my friend. It's not the big things. What is it? Be careful. Oh, I know one day we're all going to stand before the Lord and we're going to see him for who he is. And then we're going to see how much we truly trusted him. Find yourself standing before him. Look by faith a little bit. Look ahead a little bit and see yourself standing before the Lord Jesus Christ with his nail-scarred hands. Measure your sacrifice to his sacrifice in that moment. Do it now before it's too late. Do it now while you can project forward. Do it now while you can actually make a change. And when you see him standing there and everything he's done for you, you're going to say, oh, Lord, I can't believe I allowed that stupid, petty sin, jealousy, whatever it was to keep me from living my life for you. See, but the devil convinces you that you're right. You're locked in a false notion that you're right. And the devil has you locked right in. You're not right. It's easy to find the scripture. It's easy to see where you're wrong. If you seek the Lord. Amen. Don't let him keep you in that box. Because you know what he's going to do? Just like Adam and Eve in the garden. After he deceived them. Kind of just walks away. Okay, I got to slide on my belly a little bit. Big deal. Got you. He doesn't love you. He wants to embarrass you. The day you stand before the Lord, the box is opened. The devil walks away. Ha! And you say, man, my whole life, I allowed that darkness over my heart. Amen? Don't let it happen. Obey the Lord. He knows the best. It's the best thing to forgive that person. It's the best thing to let that go. It's the best thing for you, for your family, for your children. The Bible says that your bitterness will defile many. That means the things that your people you're mad at, you're going to affect people around you. Your kids are going to carry the same thing. You're cursing their life too. And that'll come to fruition at the judgment seat. There's a love for the Lord. You love God's people. When you love the Lord, you'll hate what he hates. The Bible says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. This world is so great for you, you don't love God. But if you're willing to give up this world and say, Lord, I hate this world, he says, well, then you love me. Because the world hates him, by the way. How many of you want to hang out with somebody that, or, you know, that hangs out with another person that hates you? Oh, this is the best friend of the person that hates me, and they want to spend time with me. That's what you're like to God when you love the world. You're saying, well, why don't you tell them to stop hating me? Why don't you tell them to treat me? Oh, I like them. Oh, no, I'm not going to tell them that. 
but I like spending time with you. <laughs> That's not enough. I'm sorry, it's not enough. It's not enough for you to just spend time with me. I want you to hate the things that I hate and love the things that I love. Amen? Anyways, the second condition is called according to God's purpose. Called according to God's purpose. So what he says there, and, and, to, and to the called according to his purpose. So no, question number one is this. Do you care what God's purpose is? If you care what God's, that's a good place to start. <laughs> I care what God's purpose is. So that means that I have a potential here to be used by God if I love him and I actually care about the purpose of God for my life. See, some people don't care. Some people say, well, why do I care if it works together for good? Well, if you care about the purpose of God, then you're saying, hey, if God can take everything that goes on in my life, everything I've gone through, work it together for a benefit, for profit, and it actually helps me fulfill my purpose. That sounds like a good deal to me. So you're the called, you're called. You know, in the scripture, there's two verses, two passages that talk about people that were called, but then they weren't chosen. That's an interesting thing. In fact, one of them was the, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants saying, tell them which are bidden, behold, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatlings are killed and all things are ready, come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and they went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the rem then took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. And when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then he saith to the servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways and as many as ye shall find, bid them to the marriage. Now there's some deeper truths here, especially because in the book of Matthew, you're talking about the Jewish economy and the Gentiles and so forth. But there's a principle I want you to see here. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they were found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which, was not, which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, friend, how camest thou in hither and not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the kings to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into the utter darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. There's a call out today to the whole world. Calling is to call them to salvation. Some are just busy. Some got to go to the farm. Some make light of it. Some make merchandise. Some say, sure, and they're going to come sit right in that pew over there. But they're never going to make a decision to receive Christ as their Savior. And the Lord looks down and says, why don't you got the garment on? Now what garment's he talking about here? He's talking about the, the, the fine white linen that represents the righteousness of Christ. Do you understand that just the calling itself isn't enough? You have to respond to the calling, the invitation. <laughs> and you have to receive Christ. Because when you receive Christ, you receive his garment, you receive his covering. You receive his righteousness. So if you don't receive his righteousness, there's only one place for you to go, and that's into utter darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many are called, but few are chosen. Today I could be preaching to someone that obviously heard the call. But, you know, I'm just not ready. Ah, uh, you know, I just got things to do. Uh, I got my own religion. Ah, uh, you know, if I go your way, I don't want to be a Baptist. <laughs> I'm not asking you to be a Baptist. I'm asking you to escape hell. The place that you deserve to go. I don't deserve, yes, you do. 
righteous judge would not send you a place you didn't deserve. You do deserve it. There's nothing you've done that tells us that you deserve anything other than that. Salvation has to be a free gift. And if you're here today, the calling is made. Many are called. But few. Few are chosen. And I don't know if the Lord's spoken to your heart, but if you need to be saved today, you need to be saved. You need to make that decision today. Well, I'll make it when I'm ready. If you're not ready now, how do you know you'll ever be ready? The Bible says, boast thyself not of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day bringeth forth. That means you don't know if you've got another day. We've all known people, got into their vehicle, never came home again. My brother was 16 years old, got into his white Chevy pickup truck, left home. Also, we got a call. He's dead in the ditch. You think when he left that day, he was, oh yeah, I'm not coming home, mom and dad. Little bro, no. You don't know if you're going to make it home. I'm not saying that to scare you of an accident. I'm saying that to scare you of hell. Because if you were to die in your sins, that's where you'd go. Your religion can't save you. I don't care what kind of religion you've had. It's not going to save you. You've got to trust Christ and him alone. It's got to be him. Everything is him. It's him. It's him. It's him. He paid it. He suffered it. He died. He rose. Amen. Trust him. Trust him with all of your heart. That's salvation. Then there's service. You know, God calls to service as well. The context of our passage is really just talking about serving God. It's, it's telling you that service is more than just you choosing to fill out a cleaning sheet and going and doing something. That service is about you allowing God to take your life and all the things you've gone through and use it for his honor and glory. Instead of being bitter about everything you've gone through in life. Folks, you may think you've got the worst story in the room. I, chances are you don't. Maybe there's one person that does have the worst. But whatever it is, it's whatever the Lord allowed for you. And whatever he allowed for you, he says, I'm going to make it good. I'm going to make it good. So stop walking around in bitterness. Stop being angry at God and angry at people. And like nothing's going to be good around here. And you get, you're critical. You're a sourpuss. You're, you're, it's like you're sucking on pickles all day long. Amen? Don't do it. Forgive. Move forward. There's a situation here where the laborers went out and they, the good men of the house went and looked for laborers. He says, what are you guys doing here? Well, we got no work. He says, hey, come on. Early on in the day, he hires them. He says, I'll give you a penny. And they say, hey, sounds good. So they work all day. And throughout the day, he goes out and he finds more workers. And halfway through the day, hey, come on, I'll hire you for a penny. They said, okay. Way at the end of the day, he got an hour left of work. He sees, hey, come on, I'll hire you for a penny. Sure. So one guy works for an hour, one guy works for half a day, one guy works for all day. At the end of the day, the good man of the house calls him up and says, here's your penny, here's your penny, here's your penny. <laughs> now the one that's been working right from the morning says, hey, didn't I uh, do more work than this guy? Why am I getting paid this? I should get more. This isn't fair. Then he says, well, didn't you agree to a penny? He says, well, yeah, well, then there's your penny. What's all that about? You know, at the end of that situation, he, he, the good man didn't do what we would do. Okay, here, take an extra penny. He didn't do that. He said, you agreed to a penny, there's your penny. Have a good day. It's more than you had in the morning when you're sitting there doing Nothing. 
So he says, take that is thine and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first and the first last. For many be called, but few chosen. See, the good man is God. Well, this isn't fair, God, what I had to go through. This preacher goes up there and he's got his life so cushy, <laughs> or whoever. Jealous, envy. They're calling all the shots. They get more than me. God says to you, <laughs> exactly what he says, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? You want to know why you're such a bellyacher? Thumbsucker? You want to know why you're so bitter and angry? You don't think God's got the right to do with what he wants with his own. Because you think you know better. That's really what it is. You think, I think I know better than God. When I'm sitting there, I don't like this situation. Why am I in this? I know better than God. He says, I've made a decision for you. You need to submit to it. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. Many are called, few are chosen. See, there's conditions. The salvation is simply you've got to have the righteousness of Christ on. That's your response, to receive Christ. Service, you need to let God do what he wants with his own. God has called me here. This is my place. For now, until God wants me somewhere else, I hope he lets me die here. I tell people that all the time. It's my wish, my prayer. I really do. I'd be buried right here in energy if I could. It's okay. You'll let God do what he wants with his own. And you know what his own is? You. Let him do what he wants with you. See, because he's a good God. And he knows what he wants to do with you. And so what you owe him is to look at your situations and you say, you know what, Lord? <laughs> I've been thinking I know better than you here. I've been blaming all these different situations when really all you're doing is allowing things to happen so I can choose to allow you to be glorified in my life. And I'm keeping that from you with my bitterness, with my ungrateful heart, with my critical spirit, with my envy and all those things. Christians, this is the greatest promise a Christian has. It'll take you out of every battle of life. It'll make sense to it. Every hard thing that's happened to you, he'll just sort it right out. Today, you could stand up and say, you know what, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Whatever happened, happened. I thank the Lord. You can thank him. I wonder if you could do that this morning. Maybe you're here today, you need to be saved, or maybe you need to receive Christ. That'll be your calling that you need to respond to. But maybe your calling today is to thank the Lord in that situation. Stop making it a matter of bitterness and anger. Stop using it as an excuse. Say, thank you, God, for allowing me to suffer. Because you're turning it around for good. For me, for my family, for my friends, for my church, I put it into your hands.